Remember, we do not understand spiritual things using our own energy, our own natural intellect. You have a PhD does not mean you understand the scriptures. Even if your PhD is in theology, it doesn't mean you understand the Bible. The only thing that gives you understanding is the inspiration of the Spirit of God. So there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty gives him understanding. That was what Elihu said. And that is what we activate every time we want to start to study by declaring the word of God. All right, let us go. One to go. Now I declare the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In our spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I said amen. Amen. If you believe you say warm amen. Amen. All right, understanding is coming to you today in Jesus' name. Despite what I may have planned to speak, the Holy Spirit will speak through me and you will get your own word in the name of Jesus Christ. So let's continue today in our school of Bible exegesis. We have been looking at the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians side by side. And what we have been doing is looking at the doctrines that Paul felt necessary to teach to the people in those same churches. And these doctrines, he said, they were given specially to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a message. There's nobody in the book, in what we call the New Testament today, there is nothing there that was not written by somebody who physically saw Jesus. Paul didn't see him while he was alive, but he saw the resurrected Christ. Are you getting my point? And I'm going to talk about that um, today. Uh, John saw him while he was alive. He also saw the resurrected Christ. Peter saw him while he was alive. He also saw the resurrected Christ. Uh, Matthew, all right? Mark himself, uh, um, in case you are wondering, the book of Mark is the book of Peter. Are you getting me? Uh, what you have in the book of Mark is the account of Peter, all right? That's written there. Every account, the book of Luke was researched and recorded from those who saw Jesus, okay? Luke researched it, okay? And then he compiled things. These were the words of the Lord Jesus. They were things written from those who heard directly from Jesus Christ. So when Paul was going to write also, he emphasized that Jesus gave me a message for his body. What you have in the New Testament, what you call the New Testament of the Bible today, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, all the way down to Jude and Revelation. All those things were the words of the Lord Jesus sent to his people. That's why we are called disciples of Jesus Christ. Disciples are not those who just answered an altar call. Disciples are students. There are people who are studying. They are not just people who, who, who went to church. It, this, this, it, you know, you know, there's something about churchianity where it's different from Christianity. Churchianity is I have gone to church. I have attended a service. I have paid a tithe. I have given an offering. Like one of my chiefs, those they used to say, that he normally leaves church after he has paid money. That was the word he used. That he would go for service. He said, when the pastor has finished talking and I paid money, I leave. I said, sir, it is not payment of money. He saw it as part of the obligations for coming for the service. The services, rend- it's a service. Are you getting my point? It's a service. So they render the service 
you offer the payment for the service. And he leaves. And that's what a lot of people think Christianity is. That's churchianity. That's idolatry. In true Christianity, we are students. When we go to church, we want to go and hear words. We want to hear words by which something will happen in our lives. You know, he said to Peter, send for, uh, sorry, the angel sent to Cornelius, send to Peter. He will speak to you words by which you will be saved. So when we come to church, we want to hear words by which we will be transformed. We want to hear words by which we will be lifted from one level to another. By which we will walk in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. By which we will be healed. By which prosperity will come into our lives. By which we will walk in holiness. We will come to hear words. Any other thing is not Christianity. That's why he said, go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. Not just make them answer an altar call. If they all answer altar calls, go back home and go back to their former ways, they have not yet become Christians. Yeah, that's true. You know, you, you can do a crusade. You now count that 50,000 will give their lives to Christ. You shouldn't count that. They should count at the end of next week. That's the best time. Because that day, many people, they just say, everybody's hands up, put up your hand too, otherwise they will catch you. you know, so we, we, everyone put up your hands. But after a week, is the fellow still coming to learn? That's really where the problem is. One of our brothers, one of my friends in ministry the other day, he invited me to the church to come and preach. And when I got there, he was so discouraged. He was discouraged. He organized a special program. He was discouraged. So I said, what is the problem? <laughs> why are you so discouraged? Why are you so downcast, oh my bro? <laughs> That's why you got downcast, oh my soul. This was how, why are you downcast, oh my bro? <laughs> my brother, why are you downcast? You know what happened to him? He organized a massive program in Onitsha. I think he used a stadium or something. People came. He got one powerful evangelist. So I didn't know. He said, let him follow up this thing with a teaching program. That was when he called me. Before that time, you know, there are people you call to, for the stadium. Come and, you know, hey, people have different assignments. So when he asked, okay, let's establish the people. He now organized a one-week teaching program. That was when he called me. I was supposed to teach a number of the sessions. Now, so, by the time the teaching program began, he was surprised. If there were 10,000 people, I don't know how many there were in the stadium, here, he didn't see 200 people. <laughs> I don't know how many thousands were in the stadium, but there were a lot of people. A lot of people claimed they gave their lives to Christ. And I said, okay, let us meet. He chose another venue that had a large hall. We are going to teach the word for a week. So he's surprised. He entered the place, expecting, you know, that feeling from that stadium to come into the place. He got, I came on like on the third day or so. So when I, when I, when I arrived, I said, ah, Daddy, you know, they talk, call me Daddy. <laughs> we were talking, talking. So I said, what is the problem? He said, you know, he doesn't understand. I said, ah, you don't understand. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? Why do you think Jesus used to tell stories and the disciples to follow him to the mountain? When the multitude is plenty, he tells them stories. A swan went forth to sow. Everybody, yeah, he did they sow. They did sow. They all shouting, feeling happy. Some fell by the wayside. Eh? <laughs> and Jesus was looking at them. And he continued the story. As I was saying, those who were sick were waiting. Say, when Papa starts prophesying, wake me up. <laughs> That's what Christians do. Uh, those who have been to place a redemption camp, they know. As they are doing all the teaching and all the things, so people are cooking. 
Yeah, literally. And they put down their mats. This one, somebody, I can't tell one of my, yeah, one of my friends. The woman laid down the mat and, brother, please, when, when that disturbs prophesy, wake me up. <laughs> the woman went out to sleep. <laughs> Jesus did all of that. The Bible says that when he finished, disciples were looking. I can imagine Peter looking at John saying, what is that? He said, no, man, he said, so what? Yeah, yeah, look at Andrew. Do you get that point? Which one is so? What are they sowing? Let him finish. They now all gathered, not just the twelve, all the other disciples. They now came to him afterwards. Say, what were you talking about? Why were you talking like that? Didn't you see they were not getting the point? Jesus said they didn't come to get the point. He said it himself. He said that's what the word of God is like to them. He said the word will be fulfilled. That hearing they will hear. But they will not understand. He said, but to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. He said, now let me tell you the meaning of the parable of the sower. He now began to explain to them. The sower went to sow the word. Now listen, that summary you see, I'm convinced was not all Jesus said. They asked questions. That's disciples for you. He said, okay, the other time we went here, were we, what were we sowing? Was that good quality word? He said, Yes. This person said this. Was that springing up quickly? He said, no. In this particular situation, he th- they were there for a long time. But it summarized for us in a few lines. You are getting my point? Those are, th- those are Christians. That's what Christianity is. Those who come to learn. A man has a problem at home with his wife, and he comes to church. He wants to know, did I handle it correctly? What is the word of Jesus concerning what happened? The woman comes to church. She wants to know, what did God require of me? Did I do it? Oh, my business is not doing well. Let me go and hear what Jesus is saying. It's not just let me go and get a miracle. Miracles can occur. Are you getting my point? It's more of let me go and hear what Jesus is saying about how I'm doing things. You are not being patient when you behave like this. You are not honoring when you behave like this. You're not loving when you behave like this. You're not submissive when you behave like this. That's Christianity. Are you getting my point? That is Christianity. That's Christianity. That what is the word of the Lord Jesus to me? That's it. Every day I wake up, that's what I want to hear. If I'm going to church, it's not, look, I'm not, church is not activity. Let me sign it off for the week. I've been to church this week. No, that's not what it is. Churches, have I heard anything this week? What has the Lord, literally, what is the Lord saying to you? Those days in school, we used to do that. What is the Lord saying to you? It's a question you ask yourself regularly. What is the Lord saying to me? He always has something he's saying to Christians. Later on, we'll look at that book of Revelations, the letter of Jesus to the churches. He will say, listen, you did this, that's very good. You didn't tolerate this, that's very good. You did this, that is good. And that says, but, I don't like this one you are doing. Change this area. Go back to this. He said, for one church, he said, I'm not going to place any other burden upon you. Everything you are doing, continue doing it. Words of encouragement will come. You think you are poor. Let me tell you the truth. As far as I'm concerned, you are rich. It looks on that church. You think you are rich. <laughs> rich? You're naked. You can't even afford decent clothes. You are not rich. You are poor. That was what he said to one church. 
you go to another church and say, why are you people behaving like this? Everybody that's relating with that woman, I will kill their children. What am I going to emphasize? There is a word that we must hear from him all the time. And that is what Christianity is about. Now, let's now go back to this, our study for today. That's just like an introduction again. So I'm looking at what Paul wrote as letters, the words of the Lord Jesus to the churches. What they need to understand, or what they needed to understand, which we also need today to understand. We're looking at the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians. They contain about the same doctrines. One was specifically written to a particular church, while the other one was more of a general letter. That's the book of Ephesians. We're looking at them side by side to bring out the things in there. So we're going to continue today from the book of Ephesians chapter 3. We began reading it last time. As our school of Bible exegesis, we tend to read a very long portion. And I lead the reading with New Living Translation, all right? Last time we read, we finished reading in um, verse 7. I'm going to start again from verse 1. We do that to make, because each time we make, we bring out points. So it's important we don't miss out any important point. There's one point that is still outstanding, which I said I will speak about. But let me read this first, and I'll try and bring that one um, up, the meaning of the word death, because we, last time we read, we spoke about that. And Paul wrote about it. He talked about the fact that um, we were dead in our trespasses. That's verse 4 of chapter 2. We're dead because of our sins, and I'm going to talk about that briefly. And in verse 6, he says, He raised us up from the dead along with Christ. We need to talk about that word death briefly. It won't take too long because we have said many things about it without using the, that, um, without using the very expression. Now let's read from verse 1. This time around, I'm going to read into the earlier parts of chapter 4. Now we'll not read Colossians today, because what I want to bring out is just like a line or two that Paul wrote about it in Colossians, um, the Colossian letter. But next time we'll now read much of Colossians and also much of Ephesians. Uh, So when I think of this now, I'm reading from verse 1, chapter 3 now. Paul just finished talking about the fact that the Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners but they are all citizens with God's holy people. He said, when I think of this, of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious, his mysterious plan to me as you Read what I have written. You will understand my insight into this plan regarding, regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. He said both are part of the same body. And both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ. We looked at this extensively last time. I'm not going to go over that again. My reading today is about Paul, actually, and the the ministry. So we want to look at the lesson from his life. In verse 7, he says, By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. You will see that this chapter began with Paul talking about himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of Gentiles. That's what I want to talk about. In verse 8, let's continue reading. It said, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, 
He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church. Now, please notice verse 10. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Please notice that verse 17. There will be a reality of Christ being with you as you continue to trust in him. He said your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Please, let me just please make a point here. You remember that I said the other day that we don't know Christ enough. Remember I kept on emphasizing it. That's what Paul was saying here. People don't understand him enough. We'll get back to it. The fact is that the love of God is deep, it's wide, it's high, and it's long. You get four dimensions to it. Now we'll come back to it. He said, may you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. He said, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Please, let's continue reading. I'm going to stop somewhere further down, around verse 7 of chapter 4. It said, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Verse 7. However, it says, He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. This is why the scriptures say, When he descended, ascended to the heavens, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Let me stop here. Alright, I will not read for that. Now, I deliberately stopped here, even though next time I, might, I will rewind back to verse 1 to show, um, I want to kind of flow from one thought to another thought. Alright, you will see what I'm saying in a moment. 
Okay, so I was saying, I read this to bring out, I want to show a flow, which we will now get into. Let me just explain something. There's a pattern in which both letters of Paul are, that is uh, Ephesians and Colossians. Like in the book of Ephesians here, if you see the first three chapters that we have been reading, he was emphasizing and explaining, let me use this word, please, understand my word now, the theory, the theory of the doctrine of Christ. He was saying things that eyes could not see. He was saying things that you needed spiritual discernment to be able to understand. That was what he began with. In, so you see that in chapter 1, in chapter 2, in chapter 3. Now when he began to go into chapter 4, what you will see that he's now beginning to bring it down to practical things. Now, it is not as if, when we talk about faith, Christianity, it's not as if there's, there's, there's theory that is not practical. Every practical thing is based upon theoretical knowledge. Theoretical knowledge does not mean imaginary knowledge. It, don't, it doesn't mean guesswork. It just means something that's not tangible, the eyes can't feel. Are you getting my point? For example, if I have faith and I'm sitting down, you don't know whether I have faith or I'm just sitting down. Are you getting my point? However, my faith will provoke me to works. Faith will provoke me to actions. So those actions are now the outward things. And you will see as we go on that Paul began to show the, the Ephesians how to modulate their activities so as not to hinder what God is doing in their lives. How to physically depart from the former life and live in a manner that is in agreement with the new life. Are you getting my point here? That, that's what you find him coming to in that Ephesians chapter 4. Now, but there's something I want to bring out today, okay? Like I said, there's a word that's, that's still outstanding. I hope I can get somewhere to explain. I just want to just, I don't want to just jump to that word unless it flows into what I'm trying to say. Now, Paul says something here, which is partly why I read into that um, um, uh, earlier part of chapter 4. The fact that I was talking about gifts, gifts, God giving gifts unto his people. God had done things for us. We have been talking about those things over the last few weeks on this uh, subject. God had redeemed us. We are no longer under a curse. Last time I spoke about the fact that there were generations past, and we looked at the different strata of human beings in those generations. Before Jesus came, you are either a Jew or you are a Gentile. After Jesus came, a new group of people was created, and that is called the Church of God. So if you are not a Jew, if you are a Jew, you can come out from being a Jew and become a church of God. If you're a Gentile, you can come out from being a Gentile and become a church of God. Are you getting my point? And we said the blessing of God is with the body of Christ. That is the church of Christ. That's the blessing of God. So those people are more blessed than Jews. They are more blessed than Gentiles. That's a matter of fact. Now, before that time, before Jesus came, we said human beings were in two strata, Jews and Gentiles. Jews were more blessed than the Gentiles. There was a time uh, before the flood um, the descendants of Seth were more blessed than the descendants of Cain. After the flood, we saw that the descendants of Shem were more blessed than the descendants of Japheth, who was also blessed. However, the descendants of Ham had a curse upon them, and they said they would be servants of servants. But we said, this is the issue. In Christ Jesus, this has been put to an end. Anybody is now blessed at the same level, no matter who the ancestor is. You're getting my point. It is so wrong for anybody to teach that if you see a Jew, he's a blessed person. That he said that, um, God said concerning Abraham, that um, your seed, that is, uh, how did he say it again? 
that I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you and all of that. And the Bible says clearly, the blessing of Abraham is for Abraham and his seed. And he said that seed is Christ. So that thing that God said to Abraham is applicable only to believers today. That is a matter of fact. We're not even talking about that again. It's so clear from the scriptures. It's so clear. So it will be wrong. You'll be insulting the work of God in Christ. If you still say, start saying that for a Christian to be blessed, I mean, I, I, I used to hear that Nigeria needs to restore diplomatic relationship with Israel to get a blessing. Meanwhile, the same Nigeria has what? That, those are those days, not now. All right, now they have relationships. The, the same Nigeria has Christians inside. And the, the preachers were not saying to the government, treat these people nice. <laughs> Because if you go and read Genesis chapter 12, okay, in the Bible in basic English, God said, I will be good. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said in that Bible in basic English. He didn't just say, I will bless those who bless you. He said, those who treat you nice, I will pour a blessing upon them. That is a nation that takes time out to make sure that the Christians are well taken care of. They are free. Not to do them any special favor. Don't persecute them. Allow the gospel to be preached by their mouths. That nation has a blessing on it. Please, I hope you are getting the point here. So those are the things that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. The curse has been broken. We have established that no matter who your grandfather is, assuming your father, your grandfather is Gehazi, with the leprosy of Naaman attached to him and his descendants, and your father is the first son of Gehazi, and you are the first son of your father, that makes you the first grandson in the lineage of the curse imposed by Elisha. Don't worry about it. What did I say? Say it like you heard me properly. Once you are in Christ, that curse has been nailed to the cross. Are you getting my point? And we said, Paul said, make sure you know this truth and you continue to walk in it. Stand firm in the truth. This is very important. Now, this, this is the point I'm coming to. Now, all these things we have said, they were not known by people. For that reason, the Gentiles, even though they were free, they were bound. Is that funny? <laughs> Are you getting my point here? Even though they were free, spiritually, physically, they were bound. Till today, everybody on this earth, every so-called Gentile is free. But many people are still bound. Spiritually, they have been set free. But in reality, physically speaking, they still look bound. This is how spiritual things are. If you are in prison, spiritually speaking, and God wants to bless you, he will come, he will open the door of the prison, and he will walk away. I don't know what I hear what I said. If you are inside the cell, he will, he will unlock, he will open the lock, and then he will walk away. That's how God operates. If you are not aware, are you getting my point? You know what you will do? You will sit down there. You can sit down for a hundred years. He will never come to open the door and push you out. He will just unlock the door and he will walk away. People will pray and pray and pray. What God will do is to unlock the door and walk away. What's the next stage if he wants to be delivered? He will now call a friend of yours. Say, go and tell him. Go and tell her that I have set him or her free. Are you getting my point? The process of getting up, touching the door, 
turning the handle. Sometimes maybe the door is a bit rusty. So you push against it, it appears locked. So the, you, say, you tell your friends, but you said I was free. So that one go to God and say, but you told me that he's free. Say, yes, I said so. And he'll, and he'll continue. He won't say another thing, say, I said so. Between you and your friend, better work out the meaning of I said so. Oh, to me, the most beautiful story that I used to illustrate that, okay, is the one that Kenneth Higgins told, in which the Lord told him that this is how you are going to minister to the sick. There are different ways. One of them is put your two hands across the fellow, one on his chest, one on his back. If you feel fire, jump from one hand to the other. It means there is an evil spirit residing in the fellow's body that needs to be cast out before you can pray for that fellow's healing. So when you cast out the devil in my name, the devil will go. Once I was ministering to a man who had a bad back, all right, there's a medical terminology for it, but his back was stiff. So he put a hand across the man, he felt the fire jump. So now he cast out the demon in the name of Jesus. Of course, he didn't see anything, no flashes, nothing. And I told the man, now, and I pray for the man's healing. And I told the man, check whether you have been healed. Let's put it like that. He did that. The man tried. His back was still stiff. said no. He went through the process again. Did it about three times. Afterwards, he gave up and told the man to go and sit down so he could pray for somebody else. Then suddenly he looked to his side and the Lord appeared to him again in the vision and said just one thing to him. He didn't, he didn't argue. They did not discuss. Just only one thing. I said it will go. Did you hear what I said? There was no discussion of, did you put your hand properly? When you said, come on, did you say it loudly? And then what happened? He just said to him, I said it will go. Then he made the mistake you must never make as a child of God. He said to the Lord, but it did not. See, I've held positions of authority now for a number of years. What I mean is this. Once you marry, position of authority. You are a father, position of authority. You, are, you lead people, position of authority. Are you getting my point? That's what I mean. I don't mean that you are a big man. Once you are leading, and over years I have come to understand some things. If God says one thing, please don't challenge it. Now, with my own weakness and imperfections, I know how I feel. When I tell people do this, and they do the opposite. Especially when doing the opposite now turns out wrongly. And I say, how did it turn out like this? But I told you to do this. But I know we're just thinking. Why should you think? I know what I'm talking about. So I understand now how the Lord felt when this human being looked and the Lord said it will go. And said to the Lord, it did not go. He, I don't know whether he gets my point. For the Lord, that's one of the worst sins you can commit. You tell him he does not know what he's saying. He said, he told, the Lord told him, I said it will go. And he told the Lord, no, innocently, man, human beingly. It did not go. The Lord said a third time. I said it will go. He said this time around, it's as if fire was blazing from his eyes. And that was the end of the vision. No explanation. Nothing concerning what should we do. The Lord just said to him, I said it will go. I don't know whether you are catching what I'm saying. Listen, 
<laughs> of course, the man was confused. He said it will go. It did not go. He said it will go. Okay, now that it did not go, what does it mean? That it did, do you understand? He was like, oh God, what am I going to do? Then suddenly he realized what happened. Just to end the story for those who don't know it. You should read these books, okay, to bless you. Or they will bless you. He just called the man back. Went through the process again. And told that evil spirit, I command you to come out of him in the name of Jesus. He told the man, now you have been healed. Bend down and touch your toes. See the difference? Before, let's see whether it worked. This time around, he said, I know it worked. Don't tell me it didn't work. Don't tell me it didn't work. I know it worked. Just so the man flat. Now you have been healed. Bend down now and touch your toes. And the man bent it down and was instantly healed. What am I going to say here? If a man is in prison, the Lord says, says to him, says to her, I have set you free. So you get to that door, you push the door, it's locked. You don't talk to the Lord again, you talk to the door. Say this door, you can't keep me here. The Lord said you are open and I have been set free. So you will knock on that door. You will keep on badging that door until it opens with one conviction. Because, you know, it happens. Has it happened to you before? You get to a door. You try it. They say it's locked. You think it's locked. Then your friend comes and says, no, it's open. You say, I've tried it. It's locked. He says, don't worry. It's open. Then you try. It doesn't open. So he, your friend now comes and tries. It's locked. It, it feels locked. So he applies some more pressure. Pushes on it. Eventually, the door gives. And he says, oh, I told you it's open. Just that the lock is a bit, uh, the, the catch is a bit dysfunctional. So you need to apply some pressure. But he did that. Why? He's confident it's open. It's his door. He knows it's open. So if that door doesn't open, he will kick it until it opens. Why? He's sure it's open. That's how, that's how God behaves. He gives you information ahead and says, work like that information is true. That was what happened to the people of Israel. Go to the promised land. There are giants there. doesn't matter. The Lord said we're able to take them down. But they look big. There, there must be something about bigness that makes them fall easily. That's all. That is, you have to interpret everything like what the word of God said is true. You see why I'm talking about this? I'm talking about Paul. Paul said the Gentiles have been set free. They are now co Heirs of the promises of God. They, they inherit everything equally, like we said last time, with the, with the Jews. But they will remain in prison unless they are told. I don't know whether you're getting the point there. They will remain in prison unless they are told. Please, what you are told is very important too, that you know the truth. In my typical digression, and I give you this. Something happened with my very child group yesterday. <laughs> Somebody sent information that please pray over your money before you give to the poor. Have you heard that one before? Before you help a beggar, pray over your money. Why? Because somebody she knows, a close relative, very close relative, told the story that in their church, there's a case they are handling right now. In which a woman gave money to a beggar who was on the floor, couldn't walk, crippled on the floor. And as soon as she gave the man the money, as soon as the man said thank you, she became crippled and the beggar got up. And they were all shouting, she began to shout, 
People now called, people now came in, and they beat the man and made the man, told the man to undo what he did. And the man said, don't laugh, I'm about to tell you. That's what I, I was told. And the man said that the only way he can undo it is if the woman would kiss him on the lips. <laughs> and reluctantly, reluctantly, she did it. And as soon as she did it, both her and the man disappeared. <laughs> oh, you've heard it before. <laughs> I'm happy you've heard it because I heard that one yesterday. Oh, this is my super story. <laughs> my people. Now, sir. So he said, please, so pray over said, This one is my, my relative, close relative. So that one, I didn't let that thing cool down. As that thing hit my phone, I replied instantly. I said, my sister, we refuse to order our lives according to testimonies that do not glorify Jesus. That was my one-liner. I first dropped that one before I begin talk. No, that one never talk. Oh, 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 oh. I have not spoken. That one, so it will not cool down. Ah, long gist. Oh, my wife woke up with the child's group. I said, eh? Hey. I said, what? I said, listen, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Above all principalities and powers. I said, listen, we have the victory. We have passed out of death. We have passed into life. I said, the prince of this world is coming. He has nothing in us. I find established all of those things that cannot be argued upon. And I said, by the way, that story is a lie. <laughs> That's why I was excited when you told me, like you have heard it before. It's only the same pattern. I said, I've been hearing this. I was a little boy. Now, why did I tell the story? You live your life. I said, okay, I said, what, what would I say to money I want to give somebody? This money as I'm giving you, you won't use it to harm me. <laughs> what I will tell you is that if you can't, try. Let me see how it works. I will never tell you can't to harm me. You know you can't. The devil knows you can't. Everybody knows you can't. What is this, my fear of telling you, you can't use to harm me? You can't. If I feel like that, I go put my money from my pocket, they go now. I be, why should I give you money and be praying you won't harm me with it? Why take the risk? But the truth is that I don't care. I give you money if I want to give you money. You can't harm me. Why, why do people believe that? Now, why am I talking about that? This is operating knowing that something is true. That's what the Bible is talking about. So listen, it's what you know you used to interpret what's going on in your life. That's why I keep on saying, like I heard the pastor came to preach, uh, praying earlier. He said we should continue to say these things, that we have been set free. That the more we declare it, the more we are convinced about it. We're not trying to convince ourselves of things that are not true. It's because we have known they are true. We are trying to remind ourselves all the time that they are true. Because the knowledge you have of truth is what you use to interpret the events of your life. Are you getting my point? Why am I saying all of these things? The Gentiles have been set free. Or had been set free. Right now they are also are still free. But except they know it, they will remain in prison. So Paul said, that was why I was chosen. That's what I'm talking about. Paul said, that is the reason. He said, when I think of all of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that's verse 1, for the benefit of you Gentiles. He said in verse 3, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. 
as you read this, I ha- as you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ, which we have been talking about for some time here. He, he now explains something. Verse 9, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He said, verse 12, verse 13, So please, don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Paul was saying, why am I going to everything? Because if I don't let you people know that you have been set free, you will remain in prison needlessly. That is ministry. Ministry is not what I can get out of it. Ministry is not how much glamour follows me about. Ministry is how much information concerning deliverance that people have in Christ that I can deliver to them. That's what ministry is. I was telling you the other day, I found out. When Paul was handed the matter of money, when he was writing to the Corinthians, what he kept on emphasizing in that first Corinthians chapter 9, what he kept on emphasizing is after I read it carefully, I saw that Paul's concern is that whatever I do, it must not hinder my ability to disseminate information about Christ. If I go somewhere and they give me an offering, and that offering is going to make it difficult for them to understand the message about Christ, I will not take it. Do you understand my point? Paul was so concerned. So, even when God gives him a right, like he says, I have a right to a wife. I have a right to be paid for the job that I do. I have a right to be supported by the churches that I minister to. He said, right now, if I use any of these rights, I will not be able to pass this message across effectively. So he let go of the rights. That's what I was talking about. So he suffered a lot of funny sufferings. So he told them, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. If I feel honored. That I must be very important to God for a whole child of God to suffer like this that I may have information. I need to explain this for us to know what ministry is. Paul said, listen, if, I'm summarizing now. If people don't know this truth, they will remain in bondage. If they don't know it, they will still be going to Israel, bringing back water from the Jordan, thinking that there is power in it. It will cost them money. People see, one of my friends is a pastor. He went as part of a government entourage on a, this pilgrimage that we do in Nigeria. I, I hope you know the logic behind our pilgrimage in Nigeria. It's just, it, it's just sharing of national cake. 